Book Guys show is brought to you by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys and get a free audiobook just for checking them out. How cool is that? Come on. I forgot to press the other button, which goes like this. Oh, Professor Al, I forgot to press the other button, but it's okay. It all worked out in the end. How you doing, Professor Allen, sir? Awesome. You've got all your buttons pushed. Yeah, I finally pressed the right button there at some point because our, our theme <laughs> is, is made of a, two parts, and I forgot to press the second part. My name is Paul uh, Alves, yeah. also known as... Paul the Book Guy! There's only two of us. We're doing the stingers today, and the other gentleman, the other voice on the line is... Professor Allen! Yeah, <laughs> I got to tell you, Paul. You know, I've been doing these uh, comic book podcasts. You know, my side project from uh, from the book guys over on the Relatively Geeky Network. Yes, and I stole from you, or at least you sent to me, a couple of sounders, including that Professor Allen. But the page turns as well. Yes, yes. Oh, oh these in. ones, these ones. If I can press them, hang on. Wrong one, but that one. Okay, not that one. That one. I love the page turns. Absolutely. You know, in, I, in the I, first 30 episodes, we used the page turns between every segment of the show, which was heavily edited. And, of course, <laughs> the listeners at home can tell now that <laughs> we don't edit anymore. It's all live, you know. <laughs> well, I do uh, – on, on my show, I do a little synopsis of the comic. Yep. Then I play a promo or a trailer from another podcast – and then come back and discuss the issue. And in between, on either side of that promo, I put in those page turns, and someone actually commented about it, about how nice that was. Just yeah, a nice break. We did get comments I, that... I, I, I think it's great. Yeah. Pe- people did miss the page turns between <laughs> the things. You know, People do like that when we do a spoiler, it's the, the cloister bell from Classic That's a given. And, and new Doctor Who. <laughs> And I'm wearing my, my police box jersey today. I know we're not doing a video show, but I'm just getting ready for Padre. You know, Padre invited me on uh, Padre's Corner, and he said, hey, what about Friday at 7? I was like, sure. And then I realized he's like in San Francisco, yeah. and that's 10 p.m. So <laughs> what can you do? So we're here, and uh, I don't well, it's know. A fr- it's, a, it, it, it's a Friday night, yep. 10 p.m., I don't want to stereotype, but isn't podcasting pretty much how you would normally spend your Friday Eve? Oh, I guess not. Never no, maybe not at 10. You know what? This is probably the first time <laughs> I'm going to be semi-sober at 10 p.m. since 1989. Well, you're talking to a priest. I, I, hope, I hope you're on good behavior. <laughs> hey, there's a saying in Portuguese, which is drunk as a priest. So they've been known to uh, imbibe once in a while to par- partake in the liquor. Uh, I know we're going to be talking about uh, a interview you did with a comic book guy we'll talk about that later and i'm not sure if you've read anything between now and uh, our last episode i have and we're gonna play a genre jingle which we don't do anymore and i got complaints too you guys don't play the genre <laughs> jingles anymore so here we go autobiographies uh kevin the king lawler Kevin the King Lawler. I like it. Kevin the King Lawler introduced me to Nile Rogers. And he said, I'm going to introduce you to a guy that you probably know. You don't know you know, but you do know him. 
That's right. And man, was he right. And this is this book is, and I'm reading it. Uh, yeah, let me see if I can get it on the audio here. I don't know if you can get the page turns there. Yeah, let me just use the. Oh, it's, it's, it's one of those books that's on that old-fashioned stuff. Pick yeah, it's, it's a dead tree book. Fascinating book about the life and times of Nile Rodgers. Uh, it's entitled Le Freak. Although it could have been entitled Good Times, but you know what? Not all of his times are good times, so I can understand why he chose Le Freak as uh, the name of his uh, autobiography. Nile Rodgers... How can I start this? Nile Rodgers has a guitar... It's a Fender Stratocaster that was um, labeled the hit maker. He has one guitar that he has literally played on over $2.7 billion worth of music. So although you may not recognize his name, you do know his music. And uh, I'm going to load up my iTunes here. And let's do this. Let's do the disclaimer now. All of the audio clips on today's episode of Book Eyes Show are used under... The premise of fair use of copyright law completely legally. We're going to play them in the background in very short clips. Um, and we definitely do entice everyone to buy his music. And he probably already owns his music. So uh, now Rogers starts off uh, as a young man. He's going to be playing for Donna Summer at uh, the infamous Club 54, Professor Allen, which was the hip place to be in the 60s. Oh, my lands. Oh, yes, sir. And so he, he scheduled him and his buddy. I forget his buddy's name. Read, read the biography to find out. They're scheduled to be the, the band for Donna Summer, and they show up at the door, and they, remember, this is like early 60s or mid-60s, and, you know, racism is still a factor. So let's just say that his uh, biography is called uh, Le Freak, which is based on the song, uh, you know, Le Freak, which uh, has the, the chorus is Freak Out. Aw, Freak Out. So let's just say that Nile Rodgers and his friend were so pissed off because when they got to the door, the bouncer basically said, who are you, N-words? Get out of here. And they're like, well, we're, we're here. We're Donna Summer's band. They're like, sure you are, N-words. Get out of here. <laughs> and they were so pissed off, they took their last money they had in their pocket, literally the last money they had on earth, bought a couple bottles of champagne, got drank as freak, went back to their apartment, drank all the champagne, and the song that they came up with as they were jamming, you know, hammered, pissed off that they didn't make it to the Donna Summer show. And it was, ah, F-O. And it wasn't Freak Out. <laughs> you could probably imagine what it was. It was, off, off, you know. So they're going, they're doing that. And now it's like, well, you know, it's 1960s. We, 19, so, sorry, 1970s. We, we can't have a song called F-O. But they realized it was a heck of a riff they were playing. Yeah, oh, they thought this was jamming, you know. When they, ah, F off. And his buddy says, well, you know what? There's this song, there's this dance going around. There's this new dance craze called the freak. And he said, well, you know what? Instead of F off, why don't we say freak out? And they thought it was great. They were jamming in the apartment. And... I think that was his first hundred million dollars. You know, <laughs> that sounds about right. So, so God bless the racist, M, you know, mofos at the door of Club Fifty Four. They wouldn't let Nile Rodgers and his buddy in, and uh, this ah, uh, uh, they were so pissed off. It was ah, uh, f off, Club Fifty Four. You can go f yourself. They had all this passion, and they came up with this song. And his buddy said, "Well, this song, the freak, is so great. Let's just do freak out and." You know, it went over to 
the Sheik started. The whole Sheik organization started, and they had everybody dance. And there was a point that, you know, in the sixties, no, sorry, in the seventies, that you could not go to a club and not hear everybody dance. And they just built a following. It was huge. At that point, he was a hit maker. We're talking millions of dollars. And uh, I keep going into the music of it. But, uh, you know, we go back to Nile Rodgers was like the, the son of some hipsters, heroin addicts. Um, he, at a young age, realized that not everybody's parents slept standing up. I mean, his parents were heavy drug users uh, into the music scene and whatnot. It's got to be a great story. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It really is fascinating. Nell Rogers is a freak. And uh, it goes throughout his music uh, to the point where he meets a band. Uh, you know, they, they encourage him to produce a band called Sister Sledge. And uh, the first time he meets them, he's like, okay, I'll, I'll make some music for you. you know, I'll write some music. I'll produce it. So the first time he sits down with them, he has an interview with them. And he's asking, well, how are you guys like as a band? And they're like, well, you know, we're kind of tight. We're kind of like, we're like a family. So, so throughout that, I, pro- I see where this is going. <laughs> you, you see where it's going, right? So they're like, "Well, we're a family, you know. We all, you know, get together. We're, you know, everyone who sees us knows that we're together. We're a family." And just through that little process of having a short interview with them, you know, and you can hear his guitar in the background. That, and that's that's the hit maker. That's his Fender Stratocaster. You can hear in the background. And he writes the lyrics, he writes the music, he plays the guitar. And you know where I'm going here. We are family, all my sisters and me. And he writes another hit song. He actually, I think he wrote about three or four hit songs for Sister Sledge. And this one is probably the most famous. Um, you, there's probably been derivative songs for this. Like, <coughs> sorry, anyone who's younger than us, Professor Allen, who's like in their 20s and 30s, thinks this is a Fresh Prince song, you know, but it's not. So he's the greatest dancer. Another top 40 is actually top 10 hit for Sister Sledge. And you hear the riff. That's, that's Nile playing the hit maker, the same song. They did 2.7 billion. And uh, I don't want to spoil the biography because it's so interesting and the way he went through life and how he got where he is. I'm just going to keep going through the music um, there were still doubts, even though he had already made hundreds of millions of dollars for people. Diana Ross's agent, when he was uh, hired to write new music for her, it was, I think, 71, 72, might have been like 74. I, you know, could be wrong. Again, read the book to find out. Diana Ross said to him, or, or sorry, her agent said, everything you've written for this album, this is not Diana Ross. Like, this is no good. No good. Garbage. Scrap it. And he said, Nile Rodgers said, yeah, this is not Diana Ross 1960s Diana Ross, but the 60s are over. And that's the whole thing behind Nile Rodgers. He's never stuck to one thing. He always moves with the times. Um, So he told Diana Ross's agent, Diana Ross, look, yeah, you're right. This is not Diana Ross 1960. This is Diana Ross for the 1970s. Yeah, this is moving from the Supremes to the Queen of Disco. Right, exactly. Because disco was the thing. And they were, they were looking for Supremes crap. 
And he said, well, no, Supremes is over. That was the 60s. This is the 70s. And, and Nile Rodgers always moved the times. So, and you can hear it right away, the top of this song, because we're only playing short clips to keep this legal. But right at the top of this song, you can hear Nile Rodgers' funky guitar. Here we go. You know. There he is. I got it. And someone said this was crap. This is not Diana Ross. And for me, Professor Allen, this song to me is Diana Ross. Absolutely. Because I, I, I have no, you know, yeah, I've seen, I've heard the Supreme stuff, but to me, this is Diana Ross. And there's Niall Rogers playing that funky guitar again. And, and moving forward, same album, another number one hit. And, and later in this song, you can hear his funky guitar again. So he was right. He reimagined Diana Ross. He rebooted Diana Ross for the 70s. Just like he's rebooted music every single decade. And, like, again, $2.7 billion. And a lot of people are saying, well, I don't like disco. But, you know, going to the 80s, the B-52s. <laughs> we'll let it play for a bit. Because we can, because we're discussing it. Man, Fair right. hands on everything. Oh, everywhere. Rome by the B-52s. And there's a little funky guitar in the background, you know. You know, once you know what to listen for, you hear it all over the place. Oh, yes, yes. The funny thing was, uh, Kevin the King Lawler did introduce me to Nile Rodgers, although I had already known Nile Rodgers because I loved all his music. You just didn't know it. Because he moved through the ages <laughs> with such grace and, and talent for spotting hits. Um, Duran Duran. And there's that guitar again, that golden guitar. A little white Fender Stratocaster. And that whole album produced by Nell Rogers. And, uh, you know, I, I looked it up on Google and I was looking through his music. But then one day, this came on the radio... And I didn't know it was a Nile Rodgers song, but I heard the guitar. And I said, that's got to be Nile Rodgers. I was like, that sounds like Nile Rodgers' guitar. And I had to look it up on Google. I got it, yeah. Once you, once once you, you hear it, to listen for right? It. <laughs> once you hear it, you're like, there's that funky guitar. And I looked it up. And you look at her, uh, Cindy Lauper's video, and you hear it. That's him. And I looked at the Duran Duran videos from the 80s. I'm like, well, look at that black guy with the funky hair. I said, that's <laughs> Nile Rodgers. And you wonder, you know, uh, Let's Dance by David Bowie. I don't have that clip here for, to play, but again, who's that black guy in the Duran Duran video? Everyone, I mean, in the David Bowie video, he stands out because he's the only black guy. And I'm like, there's Nile again. Apparently he produced the whole David Bowie uh, album. And it goes all the way to uh, the thing that inspired me to read. Well, the, the first thing that inspired me to read this bi- uh, biography was that Kevin the King Lawler gifted me the biography because he knew how much I was passionate about uh, Nile Rogers' music, and I really enjoyed the book. But uh, just a week ago, when was the last uh, Grammy Awards? About a week ago, wasn't it? Sounds right. Yeah, I'm watching. I'm going, you know, this is great. You know, 2014 and... <laughs> number one song number one album and there was Nile Rodgers on stage 
holding up his Grammy, 61 years old, and still the king of music. Unbelievable. And like you said, pretty much under the radar. Oh, yes. In, in terms of name recognition. Absolutely. And we, we don't know who Daft Punk is. There's two guys. They wear masks and whatever. But um, there's now Rogers playing the same Fender Stratocaster guitar. <laughs> and I think this brought it from like $2.6 billion worth of music to like two, uh, maybe three. He might be at three billion at this point. <laughs> and there's so many more songs I don't want to spoil. Uh, you're going to just read the autobiography what a wonderful life this man has had. He's blessed. Uh, he's pulled himself up by his bootstraps. Look, listen to this. Up all night to get lucky. He still can pull at the strings of, of music. You know, and uh, if you ever want a clue that there might be a creator, I mean, and I'm, I'm a scientific leaning Christian, but if you ever want proof that there is a creator, just look at music. And there this man... Some, yeah, the, the, there's some mathematical patterns in oh, there. Oh, yes. Geometry in music. It's, it's crazy This stuff. man has mastered the Fibonacci sequence of music. <laughs> um, 61 years old. Uh, still, the number one album, the number one song, 2014. Nile Rodgers' Love Freak. Give it a listen. I'm not sure if it's on audiobook, but I'm re- I've read... I'm three quarters way through his uh, thing. Beautiful, wonderful work that he's done for music and you'd be surprised he's done Rolling Stones the only artist he wouldn't touch was Michael Jackson he said I don't want to F this up he literally <laughs> said this man is so talented in making music and, and you know doing the, the whole pop music thing that I don't want to F up his career I'm not touching the Michael Jackson thing but other than that he's touched everyone from Rolling I mean look him up he's done it all now, Rogers, le freak, my friend. You are not going to believe this, Paul, but I have a similar book oh. that I've started reading on a much smaller scale, but a, a similar story, a little bit different genre. Well, hang on, what's it's the a, genre? What's the genre? Because we've got to play the jingles because we get emails. Same, it's an it's a autobiography of oh. a musician. Autobiographies. There we go. I'm about a quarter of the way through. It's a memoir by... A woman named Ashley Cleveland, okay. who is a modern gospel singer, Christian pop, and modern worship music, church music. And she's written a memoir called Little Black Sheep, and it tells her story, including of, uh, of growing up in a, in a crazy family and her own struggles with addictions and so on, and... Uh, to winning some gospel Grammys and, and so on and, and, and overcoming those things. So a little bit smaller scale than the Nile Rodgers story. But it's interesting when you started talking about right. that, that I had read and am in, in, in progress of, of reading a somewhat similar story that musicians' life is, can be a tough one. Oh, brilliant. So I'd love, love to check that out. Yeah, Little Black Sheep by Ashley Cleveland. Little Black Sheep. I will make a note. And there's another gentleman that I'm going to look up after I'm done the Nile Rodgers. Um, and I don't even remember his name, just like I didn't know Nile Rodgers' name. <laughs> but this other gentleman is responsible for something like 75% of the pop music that we've heard in the last you know, 30, right. 40 years. 
he writes the music and the lyrics, like, uh, you know, the Britney Spears crap and all right. this Katy Perry stuff and whatever. He writes it and has no recognition. And every picture, I, I, I forget his name again. but every, I thought every, that guy was Simon Cowell. But every picture, literally <laughs> on Google, if I, I switch the Google images, and every picture of him, he's in the background, <laughs> you know? He's he's always right. behind the person, sort of like holding a sandwich or something, or you know, holding a Starbucks coffee. And I, I'm going to look him up again, and I'll bring him to the table as well. So, music this week, folks. Nile Rogers, check him out. And what was her name? Ashley Cleveland. Ashley Cleveland. <laughs> the names we don't know about that have made you know they've made their mark on the earth. Absolutely. So, Professor Allen, you also have. I have. We play the. I have to play the genre jingles, or we get the emails. Here we go. Comic books, comic books, comic books. Oh, the relatively geeky network. I've noticed, Professor Allen, you've been busy. You almost have more episodes on the relatively geeky network than the book guys do. Well, yeah, we actually are able to put out a show just about every week, like the book guys <laughs> once did. We once, we once did that too. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I've got a, you know, it's it's like you, you know, I've got a taskmaster working with me. In this case, it's my daughter Emily. Yeah. So <laughs> this is good. So you have an interview for us uh, with the uh, comic book guy. Yeah, I spoke to one of my favorite people in podcasting, uh, a guy named Scott Gardner, one of the proprietors of a podcasting network called Two True Freaks, and he's one of the two freaks, and. His uh, podcasting network, a lot of comic book stuff, Star Trek, Star Wars, a whole bunch of geeky sorts of things. Nice. Uh, and they've the, the uh, podcast network has really grown over the last year. They've got about 20 podcasts in, in the network, probably 10 or 12 of which are actively producing new content uh, monthly or weekly. So we talk about that. And, of course, we talk about whatever book he was reading at the time. And as you said, he is an old school actually a pretty conservative comic book reader. Right. I was really surprised to learn that he's gone totally digital in his comic book reading. So we talk about that too. That that is surprising. And you know, I've I've been kind of concerned about all the like Sony, I mean, sorry, uh, Adobe this week just right. said that they're going to shut down the all their DRM up till now. It'll be useless, which as a cascade effect caused Sony to basically say we're shutting down our whole ebook business. And Sony is, is splurging on the money to convert all their customers' ebooks to Kobo because of the Adobe shutting down their DRM service. And this is yeah. the thing that I've always been worried about, which is what happens when the DRM servers go down, like what Microsoft did to their music service. I know that my books, here they are. Absolutely. They're never going to go down. And as soon as I heard about this Adobe crap, I've de- I've decided I'm not going to buy any more uh, digital ebooks. I'm going back Paper Tree. Um, even for audiobooks, I'd prefer to buy when I do purchase. Right. I'd prefer to purchase an MP3 CD that has no DRM on it. Yeah, yeah. you know. That so so I'm surprised that this comic book guy is uh, probably buying from the kings of comics, which is Comixology. But what happens when Comixology shuts yeah. down? Yeah, we talk a little bit about that, and uh, so it's it, it's an interesting discussion, and it's you know I I I I am not ready to make that leap, uh, somewhat for the reasons that you've uh, that you've outlined. 
you know. But I mean, I think I think there's room, and just in terms of comic books, I think there's room in the market for a Netflix type of thing. Because the great yeah. thing about Netflix is, when you watch a movie on Netflix, you never have it in your mind that you own it. Right. You watch it, you, you enjoy know, it. You watch it, and it's gone. Yeah. And and you know, if there was a comics reading service like that, right. where I never had it in my brain. Well, we, we do. This. We do have. Hang on. There's Marvel now, where you know, yeah, Marvel. Uh, and, and they have a, a really interesting unlimited service. I don't think right. it's truly unlimited, as nothing on the internet really is. Right. Uh, but they have a, a, an interesting model of that, where it really is. It's 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 uh, in essence rental. Yeah, and well, as long as you understand that going into it, right? Then as, it's okay. as long as it's but said if before, you believe you've mm. bought something. Yeah, so I, I, I think I'm now in your camp, Professor Allen. Yeah. Where rather than pay 99 cents on Comixology because of DRM, yeah. rather than pay 99 cents on Comixology, I know I know those comics are now. I think Marvel's gone up to like 5.49 in Canada. Yeah, I wouldn't surprise me. Like 99 cents is a good deal, but what happens if the server goes down or? Whatever, I can't read it anymore. Well, boo on you. I'd rather, like you, wait till it comes out as a compilation, or I'd rather wait 10 years and buy the comic for 99 cents in poor condition or, (laughs) you know, near mint. (laughs) Exactly. But then I can read it. As long as I keep it in a nice bag, my grandchildren or great-grandchildren can read it. Exactly. You know, and whereas my Comixology account, if I die and I don't leave my... uh, my password in a, in a capsule, no one's going to get it. Or if Comixology yeah. goes down, it all goes poof. So you know what? Screw digital books. <laughs> I'm now a paper tree aficionado again. Welcome. Welcome to the <laughs> 13th century, Paul. That's right. <laughs> Gutenberg rocks. So why don't you inter- introduce our guest for the interview, and, I'll, and then I'll play the page turn so we don't get emails. <laughs> Perfect. Here is uh, in an interview that I did with Scott Gardner of TwoTrueFreaks.com. This is Professor Allen, and this is an exclusive Book Guys interview. I'm talking with one of the proprietors of the website and podcast network, and I would say fan community of Two True Freaks. Here is one of those freaks, Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the Book Guys, Scott. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's an honor to be here. Now, we tend to start our show with a what are you reading segment. So we'll, we'll start this interview with that. It can be books, comic books, whatever. So, Scott, what is on your nightstand, your iPad, your, that big stack next to your easy chair? <laughs> what have you well, been reading? I am one of those guys that just always has a stack of stuff. On you know on my nightstand on my dresser all over the house, and uh, now that I've gone digital you know on my iPad, so I generally have three or four or thirty or forty <laughs> reading projects going on at any one time. But the book that I'm currently reading, and I couldn't even tell you how or why I started reading this. I'm not even sure where I got this. It just kind of fell in my lap, and I thought. Yeah, this might be fun for a laugh. And then I'm I'm hooked. I, I'm just I've been burning through this book. It's called Above Top Secret by Jim Mars. And Jim Mars is one of the top well, conspiracy theorists, but he he writes you know just books on the subject. All kinds of, of different weird, wacky kind of stuff. It's one of those subjects where 
I I love reading and hearing about these things, but I generally approach them with kind of a, you know, a scant view like, yeah, right. you know, they're fun for, you know, to let your imagination run wild. But I don't know how much credence I give to any of them. But I tell you what, this particular book is really engaging. He puts up, you know, solid arguments for the things that he's talking about. So I'm at the moment, that's what I've been working on for the past couple of days. And uh, I'm getting a real kick out of it. It's uh, turning out to be a pretty interesting read. Now, I uh, listen to most of the things that have come through the two true freaks. The two true freaks. Do you have trouble saying that too, or am I the only one? What's funny is a lot of people that don't know the show or don't you know know what we're talking about, they think we're saying tutu, you know, like like ballet. We get a lot of that, but uh, yeah, because Chris kind of coined the uh, as my as I recall the story, Chris kind of coined that term. And at first, yeah, there was some some trouble with it, but I've I've just become so used to it now. So, like I said, I've listened to many of the things in the two true freaks feed (laughs) and one of those was about the moon landing hoax Mm. so i'm by question when you mention the conspiracy theories a is that one mentioned i imagine not or you would have thrown the book or the ipad across the room but i think it is actually a chapter in here i just haven't made it to it yet and uh, i can't imagine that jim mars would be a guy that subscribes to we faked the moon landings, but it'll be interesting to find out when I get there. That might be as far as I get in this particular book. So I remember, you are a big fan of astronauts and the space program, etc., yes. and that's one topic that can set you off. So, Well, you know, to me it comes down to, and, and I think I might have even made this point in the, in the show that you referenced, all these people that want to argue that we didn't go to the moon, I'll tell you what, for the sake of, of politeness and argument, I will spot you Apollo 11. I, for the sake of argument, I will say, okay, you're absolutely right. Apollo 11 didn't actually go to the moon. It was all a soundstage. It was all a put on. We didn't go. Explain to me the other six missions. If you can explain those away, then you have my attention. Until then, I'm sorry, I'm going to relegate you to the realm of crazy conspiracy theorist <laughs> nut because i don't buy any of it we went to the moon that's actually one of the more compelling arguments i've heard what about <laughs> all the other ones what are some of the ones that he's covered so far in, uh, in the, the book current chapter i'm on right now is about um is there a nazi base or bases in the antarctic which at face value sounds kind of ridiculous. That's the funny thing about so far all of these chapters. When you first see the subject of the particular chapter, (laughs) you're like, oh, this is going to be a riot. But he's very convincing in the way that he gives. See, what I am really fascinated about with this book is that He's not necessarily trying to convince you of anything. He's not trying to convince you one way or the other. He's just presenting, here's the facts. Here's what I know. Here's what I've been able to uncover. And kind of leaves it to you to make your own decision. So in that aspect, it reminds me of, this book reads like a best of, do you remember an old show called In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy? Yeah, with Mr. Spock, sure. Yeah. I used to love that show as a kid because while it was clearly slanted to favor the monster (laughs) or the UFO or whatever it was that they were investigating, it clearly had a slant that they were trying to convince you. It was presented under under the guise of, we're going to allow you to make your own judgment on this and never really came right out and said, yes, Virginia, there is a Bigfoot. 
that's kind of the way this book is presented. It gives you a lot of really cool information, but at the end of the chapter, it essentially says, okay, you, you decide for yourself. I like that approach a lot because then I don't feel like I'm being preached to. I don't feel like I'm trying to be converted. I feel like, hey, that was really interesting. Maybe there's something to this, whatever the crazy idea is. I like that. I that's, think that's really neat. That's great. I mean, you mentioned Bigfoot. I remember I saw a, uh, a documentary once. It was about a guy. Actually, I think he, he actually fought with Bigfoot. Uh, he was the <laughs> $6 million man. Right. Do you remember? That was one of my favorite. Wait a minute. <laughs> Let's see, we're asking some of the um, the chapters here. The, the couple that have really fascinated me so far, and I'm, let me see, it looks like I'm about a little more than a third of the way through the book. So far, the more interesting chapters, the very first one was, was 9-11 an inside job, which I have always scoffed at that idea. But again, he presents some interesting things in that chapter. The one that's really got my uh, imagination at the moment is the uh, the Nazi base in the Antarctic because that plays right into so many of my my interests as a as a geek. You know, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I remember there were there were some stories from DC Comics. I want to say it was part of All Star Squadron or Young All Stars or something where it had something to do with Nazi bases. I know there's comic stories I've read over the year with like Nazi bases in the in the Arctic or Antarctic or something like that. I, I just I'm fascinated with that whole thing and it, it's it's a lot of fun. I'm getting a kick out of it. Again, don't know how much of it I subscribe to, but it's just fun. It's it's interesting reading nonetheless. If there was a if there was a Nazi base anywhere in Antarctica, I would think that Superman, you know, flying to the Fortress of Solitude, <laughs> would have already found it. I mean, they probably have a big key pointing right to it because i'm pretty sure that's the way bases in antarctica work <laughs> that now, would be neat that would be neat a, a nazi base with the, the the giant airplane marker just like the fortress of solitude so you could, you'd have to have four runways coming in at just the right swastika shaped angle that might, that might be a bit obvious that might be a bit obvious <laughs> Now, you talked about comic books. I want to hit there for a second. I know you've, you've made the switch to digital, mm-hmm. not just in books, but in comic books as well. What led you that way? How, how's it worked? What software and hardware do you use to do that? Because I have not. I have not. I've been sorely tempted, but I just haven't been convinced that they've cracked the code oh, to really yeah. make it work. But they you have. seem to have. So They, they, they hip, absolutely have. Hit me to that. For me... It was always this feeling of, gee, somebody ought to invent something that does, you know, X, Y, Z. And for me, it was the the minute that I could read a comic digitally and it was completely convenient and it felt like reading real comics, if you know what I mean. That was the point where I, I was convinced, OK, I, I, I could be convinced to give up buying the, the monthly, the paper comic issues right i mean it just makes so much sense for storage for the main thing but i you know i wasn't really keeping up with technology and the goings-on and and i started finally getting letters and and pms and stuff from listeners going hey you know this thing you keep going on about exists right and i'm like no i had no idea (laughs) so i went out and I, i did my homework on it this this is how I kind of stumbled backwards into finally going digital is my wife wanted to get the Kindle when the Kindle first came out. And I thought, eh, interesting idea. I don't know if I could read comics on it because to me, the Kindle's really, really small. Right. I wanted something that was the approximate size of your standard comic book page. I figured 
if I was ever going to do it, it, it had to approximate the dimensions of a comic just so that it felt right in my hand and to my eye. And while we were out shopping for a Kindle for her or some sort of digital reader, that's when I discovered the, the iPad. Right. And lo and behold, the, the sales guy at the place, wherever it was I ended up buying, I can't even remember now. I don't think it was an Apple store. I think it was maybe a best, one of those freestanding right. Best Buys in the right. mall type of thing. And it just so happened that the guy there was like a serious comic nerd like myself. So we just started talking like super geeky comic stuff. And he's telling me, oh, yeah, dude, you know, I went digital a while back and here's what you need. And, you know, this is the unit you should buy. And this is the software and this is how much it costs. And, oh, yeah, you'll love it. You'll you'll be happy. You'll never go back to paper stuff. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, right. You know, you don't know who you're talking to. You know, I've been <laughs> reading comics, you know, paper comics all my life. I got a room fill, full of them, you know. So I got this program for the iPad. It's uh, it's his name. It's Comic Zeal, Z-E-A-L. And works like a dream. You know, you dump your comics into it. The only issue I've ever had with any of this is that I had to finally break down after years of swearing I'd never, ever do it. I finally had to break down and learn how iTunes work. You have to use it in conjunction with everything that you do on the iPad. Well, anyway, I finally figured all that out and was able to just dump comics into Comic Zeal and it works. And th that was my other stipulation getting into all this is I didn't want to have to go through, quote unquote, official channels because I had already been working for years amassing a, a, a huge collection of digital comics from all over the Internet because they're just out there. And so I didn't want to have to subscribe to something. I didn't want to have to purchase these things through third party or even from the actual publishers. You know, I wanted something right. that was ready to roll with the digital files that I already own. Comic Zeal doesn't work like that. If it's made to be read... You can pretty much dump it into Comic Zeal and it'll read it, whether it's a PDF, whether it's a, a text file, whether it's a comic book scan file, whatever. If there's pictures or words in it, it's going to read it. And that's great. That's exactly what I needed. So I love the thing. It did not take me much time at all to, for one, to make the transition. But now that I have made the transition, I actually find it inconvenient to now break out my paper comics and, and read them. And a lot of that is because modern comics, I think, have been inconven uh, inconvenient to read for years because of that glossy paper. So. And, and you've been able to sort of get over the collectorness of it, just you're, you're satisfied with owning these as digital files? I am. And, and the really funny thing about it now is uh, I went into the comic a comic shop the other day it was the first time I had been in a brick-and-mortar comic shop pretty much since I canceled my pull box. And I did pick up just a handful of 50-cent books just because they were there. And it was fun and it was neat and I'll throw them in a box like I do everything else. But I have found that for the most part, I'm kind of over it at this point because everything's out there, man. I mean, anything that you want to read... As far as back issues, it has been scanned by somebody and it's out there. <laughs> right. It's almost like suddenly being filthy, stinking rich to where nothing's a challenge because it's all at your fingertips. <laughs> you can afford it. So it's all there. And I've set myself up little reading, like, like dream reading projects that I've wanted to do all my life that that's, I just never had time for. That's great. Or, or could never put my hand to the books. One of them that I'm just about through with right now is a complete read through of Neil Adams. 
that's been a lot of fun because you can see his progression as an artist. And it's not as big a body of work as you might think. To me, he's the quintessential 70s. Didn't he do everything? That, that's, that's my impression. That's the impression, but you know, when you actually pull all these issues together and throw them in a file, you find, you know, that's really not that many books. So I've actually created several little reading projects just based on creators, which is something I've always wanted to do. And it's funny because that's largely how I have collected comics all these years. And, and in a lot of ways, I feel like it's it's been almost like a purification process because it's taken me back to the reason that that I got into comics in the first place, which is I like to read them. I think this happens with a lot of collectors or a lot of comic book people where you go in cycles, you know, where you find yourself kind of falling right. into that collector mentality. And then maybe you have to go through a bit of a purge to get back to why did I get into this in the first place? And, and I've and, it's good. And, I, and I've spent so much time and you have as well, you know, hounding the, the cheapy bins. Mm -hmm. You realize that, OK, investing in comics is insane. So that leaves off some balance between collecting and reading. And I've decided for me personally, I'm about a 10% collector and a 90% reader. Right. And, and, and that's a shift that's, that's happened over a couple of decades. I found my joy. And that joy is reading comics, you know, mm -hmm. not necessarily collecting or. Yeah. And that's the thrill. I, I find that I, for, I don't know what it is. It's something very strange. I can read, well, I can read anything really, comics or books, so much faster digitally than I can ever do with the actual paper medium. I, I have no idea. I, I, I've been trying to analyze that and I've, I've come up dry. I don't know why that is. It just is. I blow through comics a whole lot faster in the, in the digital than I do in the paper. You're starting to, to talk me into it. Uh, especially <laughs> on this idea, like you said, of creating lists. You know, I would imagine it's just much easier to organize the oh, yeah. digital version and put them in a list. I mean, you talk about, I mean, how many hours would it have taken for you to, if, if you had physical copies of all those Neil Adams books, how many boxes are they in? How would you mm -hmm. stack them? How would you have, you said it's yep. not a lot of, not a, a lot of comics, but it's going to be two or three f foot stack at least. I'm slowly becoming convinced that the advantages of digital are f far outweighing whatever disadvantages there may be. Absolutely, I, I I'm convinced of that, man. If I had the if I had the time to do it, if and really do it properly, I would start divesting myself of some of the paper stuff at this point. Um, the only reason it still sits here mocking me is I just don't <laughs> have the time to get to it, you know. So. I mean, I would say easily at least 95% of what I have here on the pad to read, I actually own the issues. I have this stuff. Right. It's just, it's so much more convenient to pull up a file and go, okay, you know, 75 issues of ROM, here you go, boom, and they're on the iPad as opposed to, okay, now I got to dig through this giant stack of long boxes and okay, pull this one out and okay, find all exactly. these. You know, it's, a, it's a pain. And I've become more comfortable reading a comic book in, in public, but you know, carrying around even a half dozen, you know, single issues mm -hmm. is, is inconvenient. But if you've got them right there on the machine, can't right. be more convenient than that. In the uh, two true freaks website and podcast community, you do a lot more than just, comic books 
just sort of run through the, the shows that, that you're on, uh, as well as some of the other things that are at that site, <laughs> which has been sucks. expanding tremendously the last few months. Oh, my Lord. It's it's unreal how much stuff we're putting out. Now, it's actually, it's one of those things where I'm always nervous to do this portion because I know that there's, there's <laughs> we, inevitably, there's somebody that I forget. We're not I'm asking you to list them all or even <laughs> just your favorites. Of course, I'm going to be biased, but my favorites are always going to be the ones that, you know, originated two true freaks. The core shows, as we like to call them. For, for those that may not be aware that, that, that don't know who and what we are as Two True Freaks. In a nutshell, Two True Freaks is myself and my lifelong best friend, Chris Honeywell. Great guy. Um, we've known each other since, literally since the fourth grade. And uh, we're both in our mid-40s now, so that gives you an idea how long we've known each other. Two more dissimilar guys you'd probably never meet, but we've just, we've been great friends all our lives. And, uh, and you know, and I don't think I've ever told this story quite this way before, <laughs> so you, you have the exclusive scoop on this. I got hooked on listening to podcasts because at the time I was working in a chicken plant in Carrollton, Georgia, and just feeling like, oh my God, how does my life come to this? You know, you needed something to stick in your ears for there eight hours. Go. Well, that was the, if there was one cool upside to the job, I worked virtually alone and overnight and it was a, a 10 plus hour shift working alone. And so I could just listen all night long. And at first it was like audiobooks and music. And so I got into listening to podcasts. And then that's where the idea started to germinate, like has happened to so many of us. Hey, I could do that. <laughs> Which how, is the worst idea. How hard can that be? Anyway, at that point, as funny it is as it is to think about this now, and the listeners are not going to believe this, but I swear it's true. At that time, Chris and I only ever communicated with each other about every year and a half to two years. We would just all of a sudden, one of the two of us would call each other up. But the funny thing is, there'd be these giant hiatuses between us talking to each other. But the moment we t started talking, it's like we had never, like that, no time. Exactly, passed. exactly. And we would have these epic phone conversations, like six, eight, ten hours, talking about, you know, all the latest movies we'd read or seen, all the latest books or comics we'd read. You know, what are you doing these days? And what are you into? What are you looking forward to? And they were basically, they were podcasts. So like I said, I was listening to all these podcasts and one night either he called me or I called him and it was the first time we talked in ages. About the only thing I can really specifically remember is I remember Superman Returns was one of the subjects. But anyway, we were talking and we talked into the wee hours. And I said to him, I said, hey, have you ever heard of a podcast? And I can't remember what his answer was. I, I don't think he had. So I was explaining to him basically, you know, my latest fascination, you know, this thing with podcasts. He's like, oh, that sounds really cool. And I said, what do you think about doing one? And uh, he was in instantly hooked because we had been looking for something to do together for years, you know, creatively. Because we had done little projects as kids, you know, little <laughs> audio dramas and things right. like that. Just screwing around, you know, wasting time as kids. If I remember, you guys wrote a Star Wars Episode Seven. We did. Yeah, we uh, well, it, what it actually was, was we had done um, parodies of the Star Wars movies ourselves when we were kids. Um, they were called Battle in Outer Space Wars, which was the stupidest name. <laughs> but they were they were essentially they were parody slash complete ripoffs of Star Wars. But they were like we would do a comedic take 
on whatever the new Star Wars movie that is that had come out. And then after Jedi came out, of course, you know, there are no more Star Wars movies. But somewhere along the line, it, it mutated to where, although we maintained our character names, essentially it was us making more Star Wars <laughs> sagas. You know, this is going to sound so conceited, but I swear it, it really is true. That's why when the whole rest of the world went nuts for Timothy Zahn's uh, trilogy when it came out, I'm convinced to this day that's why Chris and I were not particularly enamored of it because essentially for us, it was been there, done that. Because his story was not far removed what, from what a couple of you know sixteen-year-olds came up with back in you know nineteen eighty-four and five, so we just were not particularly impressed. You know the whole remnants of the empire thing. Right. Yeah, that that was us. We'd already done that, so we wanted. We were expecting something a little bigger, a little grander, a little more dare I say original. <laughs> you know that we had been able to come up with, and we didn't really get that. So. Anyway, you know, at the end of this conversation, we uh, we'd agreed, you know, hey, we want to give this thing a try. And we were trying to come up with names and somewhere in the conversation, I, I made a remark of something or other. And Chris said, well, you know, that's what you get when, you know, you put two true freaks together or something to that effect. And as soon as he said those words in that combination, I was like, you know what? I think you just named this show and it stuck. You know, and that's that's where it came from. So the original right off the bat, the one thing I knew that. I wanted to do like in my mind, this was the entire reason for two true freaks was uh, I'd always wanted to pay some attention and give some, some much needed love in my opinion to the Marvel comics, star Wars series. I, I just felt like it's really been dogged and, and highly underrated all these years. And uh, I'm very proud to say that, you know, we recently uh, for the most part, we wrapped up, Marvel Star Wars and we've done the, the 107 issues we've done the annuals right now we're kind of mopping up by covering right. the UK stuff but just really proud of having done that because uh, that that was kind of my original mission statement for the show in a nutshell was covering that material do you imagine that uh, Disney will reunite Star Wars and Marvel comics at some point and oh, and do you have high hopes or trepidation or a little of both you know, I have been warned repeatedly by my friends and by our listeners that, hey, you know, even if it happens, you know, it's not going to be the same. Right. And and I do. I, I fully I'm fully cognizant of the fact that, you know, 1980. I'm trying to think of what year the series ended. Eighty six, I think. Eighty five, eighty six, something like that. That's a long I, time ago. Scott. That was a long time ago. Yeah, it was. It was a long time ago. Knowing that it won't be the same, I'm still hoping that somebody else involved creatively would look at that original material fondly and go, hey, you know, let's occasionally do a story in that flavor. I'm sure they'll do things like that. And uh, and that's what has me really excited. Plus, I, I have no doubts that it'll be really quality material. And it'll be nice to see both of these these favorite properties of mine you know, now that they're both owned by Disney being all, you know, the three entities, you know, Disney, Marvel and Star Wars all united in one project like that. I, I think it could be incredibly exciting because what's to stop them at that point? I think that's really exciting. But, uh, you know, of course, you know, so that's Star Wars Monthly Monday. We do uh, Star Trek Monthly Monday. Currently, the, the current format of that show is we do basically two Star Trek shows. We do a classic Star Trek show, you know, the old uh, Shatner show, uh, where we pick an episode at random and just discuss. And then we are covering 
uh, on the other Star Trek show, we're covering Star Trek The Next Generation in actual episode order. And right now we're about midway through the third season. And uh, yeah, That tells you something uh, about just about how much TV changed in the couple of decades in between that. Oh, yeah. Where Star Trek, the original series, is literally you can't do the, cover them in random order. It makes mm-hmm. no never mind. Pretty much. But by the time you got to Next Gen, you're to some extent telling some arcs, telling some continuous stories, at least getting character development and ramifications of events. Yeah, it was more of a narrative by that point. And, you know, of course, that's where we definitely are today with television. Everything's a narrative, whereas the 60s show, it was episodic TV. You know, one one episode did not necessarily affect the other episode. You can pretty much jump in and out at any point. It's exciting. And I I mean, I love classic tracks. So we have Comics Monthly Monday, which uh, is, you know, still (laughs) it's a lot of fun because that show is I mean, if you just want to just laugh. That's what that show is good for, because we get together and it's just, you know, generally the three of us, it's me, Chris, and uh, and our buddy Mike Bailey uh, joins us for that show as well. Yeah, I mean, we're all great friends. We just have a blast just cutting up and having fun with that show. Just, uh, I mean, the last episode we put out, I just those guys kept me in stitches the whole time. That's always a lot of fun. Yeah, there's and, a great uh, format for that show. You know, <laughs> you've got a, uh, you've got sort of a, just a general, what have you been doing in comics the last month? And mm-hmm. that conversation can go everywhere. Uh, you know, your buddy Chris, he has read a lot of comics, <laughs> but he likes the underground and the obscure and the independent. So right. you're making him read classic superhero comics, right? which is a trip to hear him summarize and discuss. And, <laughs> and then you come to the table with some crazy top five list mm-hmm. every episode. And so that one is definitely a blast to listen to. We have, and, and, uh, and the comics content is not really a barrier to someone not necessarily familiar with the material. It's a fun, entertaining conversation. I think if there's any secret to success with that show, I think that's what it is, is that by having Chris be still a, a relative superhero comics novice, then that's the gateway for anybody else that might be feeling the same way. Like, well, why would I want to listen to this? I don't really know anything about comics. By having Chris there, then they have an identifier with Chris. And I I think it really makes the show work. And I, I, like I said, I just have a ball doing that show. I think it's a lot of fun. And then for the moment, the, the fourth week spot, is uh, commentary monthly Monday where Chris, Chris and I we just we just pick a a favorite movie of ours and do a commentary for it and uh, it's funny because a show that uh, basically was created out of pure laziness and the show and the desire <laughs> to have a much easier show somewhere in the format something that didn't require a lot of editing or a lot of effort has become one of the more popular shows that we do so that's always a lot of fun. And uh, and then occasionally, you know, some months actually have a fifth Monday in there. And whenever we have the fifth Monday, then it's uh, it's really it's just a free for all. It could be anything, any subject. And, you know, we have our own little pet projects that we like to do from time to time. We have uh, something we call freak files where we just cover like the unusual. You never know what you're going to get with those wild card shows. <laughs> we've, done, we've had some crazy stuff and we have even crazier stuff, you know, on the back burner. So and you, you've gathered roundtables for the big tentpole movies. Mm-hmm. That's always a fun one when you get five, seven, ten folks sometimes on one call talking <laughs> about the Star Trek or Man of Steel or Iron Man or Avengers or whatever it is. 
Oh, you get some some discussions going on with those types of things too. And you you guys have made some changes in the last few months that have enabled you to expand and bring in a whole ton of other shows. We have so much content daily on the feed that if we suddenly just started missing shows or took a, an extended hiatus, I don't know that anybody would notice for quite some time because they're probably like me. They're so backlogged in everybody else's episodes <laughs> that it would take a while to even notice that, hey, you know, Two True Freaks hasn't had a show out in like six months, you know? Yeah, you've got a bunch so. of other weekly shows covering comics and just other pop oh, culture, everything. geeky sort of stuff. And then as well as the sort of sporadic shows that get dropped in there. Godzilla, well, the there's a Godzilla show that I love, uh, Earth Destruction Directive. The guys will kill me if I don't mention uh, Back to the Bins. Oh, because, yes. You know, that one That one is right up there with Two True Freaks. Essentially, Back to the Bins was our first real spinoff project. Um, and you know we've since done quite a few of them. But to my recollection, I, I'm fairly confident in saying that that was the first real <laughs> Two True Freaks spinoff. And it's essentially uh, just kind of a wild card show, really, where we, we come into the show every week and it's just different random comics that we've selected what's interesting about that show is it's changed hosts and it's changed format slightly over time but it's essentially still the same show which is you know i was going to comment i think one of the strengths of that show is the format and the fact that you have had different hosts come and go and Mm -hmm. and the show has maintained basically what it's always been Mm -hmm. and that i think that tells you that the concept the format the idea the bones of the show are strong. It's funny because it's a show that nobody owns. That's the really funny thing about it because right. I didn't come up with it. So the basic thing, thing that I've learned being part of the Book Guy show and then doing a show with my daughter, Short Box Showcase, is that whoever's producing is in charge. Right. <laughs> on, on the Book Guys, I just show up and talk mm-hmm. because someone else produces it. Well, that makes all uh, the difference. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's what's kept me on that show and involved in that show for so long. Is it's it's the one show that, for the most part, that's all I have to do. I just have to show up, and I like that. There's something to be said for those kind of shows where you can just show up and run your mouth, and at the end of it, it's like, okay, I don't have to worry about editing this. Just to show up and do the show and go home at the end of the night, and it's all over. I like that because <laughs> whew, the regular ones that we put out, some uh, some serious work involved with those. Well, you know, there was another early spinoff from uh, from Two True Freaks that um, has had more of a troubled existence in recent years. But uh, tale, I got to give a shout out to my buddy Mike Bailey. Uh, Tales of the JSA remains a, f- a fan favorite. Absolutely. People continue to ask us when that show is coming back. Hopefully, by the time you know you folks are hearing this, Tales will have come back. If it hasn't yet, then I. I apologize, but uh, <laughs> Mike and I, I swear to God, we are trying so hard to resurrect that show. It, it honestly just comes down to one simple thing, and that's time and scheduling. We've had some episodes in the can for the longest time, you know, just unreleased. You know, they're fully produced. They're fully ready to go. But it, you know, we have in our minds a preset number of of episodes that we want done and in the can before we announce the return of the show, and we're not quite to that number right, yet, right. so... So the first thing you can need to do is about a three-hour email show because it's been right. however nine <laughs> months or so since the last episode. I I, I imagine that, that that pile's got to be pretty big. Arguably, that's the most popular thing that we've ever done, uh, right. at least on Two True Freaks, was uh, was Tales. So. 
And and when when you guys moved off of Libsyn, that gave you the bandwidth, and you started inviting, like you said, so many more shows. And I think yeah. that's an that's an interesting thing. I want to talk sort of close by talking about your your attitude towards other podcasters who are getting started. And I, I think it's it's pretty admirable. Uh, recommend hardly people who are interested in starting up a podcast to listen to your two episodes in Get Off Your Butt and Make a Podcast. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the two episodes were a couple of years apart, which is actually nice in that you had a couple more years under your belt right? Uh, when the second one came out. But just very solid advice. And what I found was really encouraging and and as i've sort of moved more and more into being a podcaster myself you know i have found by and large the podcasting community at least the small little wing of it uh, that i've stumbled into to be pretty welcoming and i know that was not necessarily your experience uh, when you guys got started I, i think it has become that for the most part in in most podcasting groups and, and circles these days where I think the majority of podcasters, you know, we're, we're all at the very least, we're all courteous to each other. That was not the case in the early days, at least, you know, again, in the circles that, that we were in or, or trying to be in. It was a, a niche kind of thing. And if you weren't there at the get go, if you weren't kind of part of the group starting out, then it was it was unwelcoming. And so that episode that we did was was done with the intention of let's try to to change that. Let's try to make it a, a more welcoming experience for people. But more importantly, let's do something for them that no one was really willing to do for us when we were getting started. Right. That original episode of, you know, get off your butt and make a podcast, you know, we really were not around very long, relatively speaking. You know, if you look at the the now, you know, five year plus history of Two True Freaks, we were still relatively young when we did that show. People could look at this and go, <laughs> right. who do you guys right. think you are that you're doing a show like this, like you're some wise veterans of podcasting when you're just a couple of clowns just barely started on this? Yet it worked. People responded to what we were trying to do very, very favorably. And it's been one of our most popular episodes all along, which was part of the reason why we wanted to do a sequel to it. By the time we did do the second one, then we did feel a little more legit than we did the first time around. Like, okay, now we really are kind of experienced (laughs) at this. Now we kind of know what we're talking about a little and we can be a little more authoritative. Whereas at first, a lot of it was just flat out arrogance. Thankfully, I don't think any of that comes across in the episode. It was taken in in the right spirit. And, uh, you know, I can't tell you the number of people that have contacted us in one form or another to say that episode is why I'm doing the show that I'm doing. To That to me is I, I can't tell you how rewarding that is. And, and what a, I mean, it just gives me the warm fuzzies, you know. So many podcasters and and especially, you know, some really great shows. You know, I hesitate to single ones out because then I always feel like somebody's going to be, you know, feel slighted or whatever. But the, the one that always immediately comes to my mind would uh, would definitely be uh, Andy and Michael Leyland's show, uh, Hey Kids Comics. I mean, those guys just came right out of the gate with a phenomenal show. They just they do one of the best shows in podcasting, in my opinion, 
like I say, right out of the gate was a great show. Most shows come out of the gate and they stumble and they have to find their feet. And then, you know, after, you know, six months, a year, whatever, they become a really good listen. But not those. I mean, those guys came right out episode one and it was a solid listen and, and just one of the more enjoyable shows out there. And they have never made any, you know, any qualms about letting folks know that it was listening to us and especially that episode that kind of spurred them to do what they do. And uh, it makes Chris and I feel like, like proud uncles or something, you know, it's just, it's great. So that, that's been very, uh, very rewarding for us. And it's funny that, that somehow, you know, I don't know how it happened, but somehow we have suddenly become like those veteran guys, you know, the veteran pod, you know, <laughs> right. I guess it's just the nature of podcasting that, you know, and so many shows have come and gone in, in five years now that the ones of us that are, a left that are still out there plugging away. We've just become the veteran podcasters by default more than anything else. <laughs> and all of that stuff and more can be found at the website two truefreaks.com. T W O T R U E F R E A K S. I think I spelled that right. Dot com. Right. <laughs> and the uh that's also the Facebook group uh, as well. The uh, the all-inclusive iTunes feed, since you, you did make this change, is Two True Freaks with the number two at the end. Correct. Mm-hmm. And, and that will uh, subscribe to all of the shows in the feed, though the individual shows also have their subscription link, I believe, as well. That is probably our most common, commonly asked question is, you know, can I just subscribe to show X? And not listen to all the two true freaks, which I'm never sure how to take that question. <laughs> I want to uh, listen no, to all that other stuff, but just not you. Right, can right, you help exactly. me do that? <laughs> but uh, but no, you can. You can subscribe to any one of the individual shows if you want to, or you can su- subscribe to the feed and get everybody's show. Which yeah, it's a lot of content. There's a lot of stuff we put out. So, but yeah, any way that you want to do it, you know, you can definitely pick and choose the the things that you want to listen to. Uh, one way or the other with the show but uh i'm trying to think you know we have hey kids comics we have dinner for geeks we have uh luke jack and Eddie's show that you mentioned earth destruction directive all about giant monsters we have hope mullinex that does uh she just she does all all the stuff that i don't even want to have to deal with magically sparkly twinkly stuff she handles all that stuff so i don't have to deal with it you know it's great We've got uh, just one of the guys, uh, Green Lantern podcast. We've got uh, just so many shows. And we're constantly adding new stuff to the feed all the time. So uh, that's the great thing about it being on on an actual website now is that I've been told, and I plan to put this uh, to the test, I've been told that we basically cannot fill the feed that we can, can just continue to add pretty much ad infinitum. So we, we probably will. We'll just continue to add to the family. Because I've been asked this too, is like, you know, is there a criteria here? Is there like a quality country? Yeah, there is. I mean, in my opinion, we're, we're snapping up the best independent shows that are, that are interested in becoming part of a network. That's basically what we're doing. So there's certainly other podcast networks that are out there. But I mean, I'm of the opinion that we've got one of the best, if not the best, because we that's who we're inviting to the feed. So right. that sounds incredibly arrogant, but that's that's my opinion <laughs> on it. I mean we really do. We have we have the best people out there. So glad to have you here on the book guys. 
thank you so much for uh, for inviting me. I, I've had a blast, and uh, and <laughs> if your listeners can't tell, I can just go on and on all night. So I'm, <laughs> I'm really, uh, I, I was it was an honor. I I don't get to talk enough about just generally uh, what we do, and uh, and that's a lot of fun. I really appreciate the invite. You bet. Glad to have you. And uh, just like J-Lo, I'm going to pretend, oh, that was a great interview, Professor Allen. <laughs> yes, we just sat here waiting for 41 <laughs> minutes and 32 seconds while it played. That was amazing. Uh, to how, be, on- to how, be honest. How did, we, how did we stay quiet that long? <laughs> to be honest, I haven't listened yet. I will listen once it's on <laughs> iTunes. Uh, I'm sure it was a wonderful interview. You guys do great stuff at Relatively Geeky. It's hard Excellent. for me to keep up. I think I'm halfway through your catalog, I which like is it. brilliant. <laughs> I'm just getting ready uh, in two hours from now. I'll be on uh, the Twit Network live. Hope you join us in the chat room, Professor Allen. With our old buddy. Yeah, our old buddy. Father Robert. And I am going to sneak in that jingle somewhere during the episode. (laughs) Padre's Corner. We're going to go live on twit.tv, and uh, we'll talk a bit. And, uh, yeah, and great news. Coming up soon on the Book Guys show, live here in Toronto studio, we're going to have George Shavalo, the man they couldn't knock down, the man who Muhammad Ali couldn't knock down twice. And everyone says, well, he didn't beat Muhammad Ali. No, but he went toe-to-toe to him, two full matches, and Muhammad Ali could not, not knock him down. And Muhammad Ali is quoted as saying he was the toughest fight of his life. George Shavalo, boxing legend, uh, Wonderful story, interesting story uh, of, of Serbian descent, Bosnian descent. He's going to be here in studio. And uh, I did joke with uh, Sir Jimmy. I said, I'm going to try to knock him out during the interview. That is not going to happen. Uh, if you're watching on video, which we're not doing today, but he's got fists on him bigger than my microphone. You know? <laughs> it, it is certainly an interesting story. I assume it's an equally interesting book he's got. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, he is going to sign uh, autographed copies for us and hopefully not punch me out. <laughs> uh, we're gonna, working on a couple other interviews. It should be interesting. And uh, unfortunately, Professor Allen, my, uh, my recommendation to Rob Ford to go to YouTube, it didn't fall on deaf ears. You know, I, I did say you need a moderator. Come by the studio because we're like half a block away from his house here. Uh, but he is doing it on his own, apparently. He just announced today that Rob and Doug are going to do their own YouTube uh, show without a moderator, which I think is a really bad idea. Well, uh, we obviously know that he's a fan of the book guys. Well, first of all... Else, where else would he get that idea from? Yeah. Well, that, you know, and, and as Rob and Doug, there used to be a comedy show in Canada called SCTV, and, and there were two uh, stereotypical Canadians called Bob and Doug, and all they did was drink beer and act stupid, I think... It's, it's going to be bad. <laughs> to be fair, they ate a lot of Canadian bacon. To, yeah, that's all they... I remember. But we have some great stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to do... Including ep- episode 100, not that Oh, yes. Back. Yes, we're going to try to work out something special for episode 100. Uh, maybe a live stream or something. Uh, you know, we're not on Twit, but we'll have our own live stream, our own live chat with Blackjack and hookers. It'll be better. Um, but episode 99, we're going to do a recap show. It might be two or three hours. I don't know. We're going to take some of our best book recommendations over the years and just pile them all together into one big episode for our new fans. 
just so they can get a glimpse of the past and maybe they want to go back through our catalog. So I think episode 99 is going to be a recap show, maybe two hours, three hours, who knows. And episode 100, literally we're all going to just sit around, get drunk and have a good time. It might be a video show. I will, we'll do the video editing for that. We'll do a one hour or two hour episode for 100. We might even get back some of the classic uh, hosts. We You're going to be get... doing your own Rob Ford. Okay. Yeah, we'll have our own Rob Ford show. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, it'll be fun. And we're going to do some kind of live stream. We'll get, uh, I'm going to try to get some of our previous guests on. Uh, previous hosts who used to be part of the show. We might get yeah. Greg, the book guy, and, and Chris, the book guy, and Jim Phillips. And, you know, maybe we'll get Sir Jimmy to do his original Jimmy voice. <laughs> I've, Hello, <laughs> Paul. This is Jim yeah, from uh, Carolina. The episode title I won't forget is called "A Stolen Life." It's the one episode I broke down and cried on. <laughs> uh, but we had that was the first time we had Sir Jimmy on. Who's hi guys? This is Jimmy, and maybe we'll get him to reprise that voice he did when he <laughs> when he was just a guest trying to do that radio voice. I remember when I started, I was trying to do the. Hey, this is Paul the Book Guy. You know, was that his tryout video? I, I assume that that yeah, that that was his tryout call. Well, you know, his audition to be a host. No, it wasn't audition. It was just like uh, we had we had gotten some uh, hollow books off him, and you know, we wanted him as a guest to talk about hollowing out the books. And but he was doing the all right. This is Jimmy. Uh, hey, hollow books. It was awesome. <laughs> so coming up soon, episode one hundred, we're gonna have a blast. Episode ninety nine is gonna be a recap show. And we still got a few between now and then. Professor Allen, keep doing what you're doing. Relatively geeky. Thank you, Paul. Love it. Love what you're doing. Uh, and anytime, uh, Professor Allen, shoot me your episodes. We'll put them on the Book Guys show stream. And maybe we'll, we'll put a tag on the front and the back that says, check out this other podcast just so we can all, you know, help each other out. Absolutely. And uh, thanks again. See you next time. Same book time, Love same it. book channel. Same book time, same book channel. You better be in the chat room at 10 o'clock, buddy. I'm looking for you. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. I'll put that one in the stream as well. See you, folks. <laughs> see you next week. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Book Guide Show will return next week. Same book time, same book channel. Thank you.